Hello and welcome to the RefDem Rule of Law podcast. I'm Alexander Lazovic, I'm an assistant editor at RefDem, and my guest today is Moritz Schramm. Moritz is a PhD researcher at the Graduate College Dynamische Integrationsordnung at Humboldt University Berlin, where he's also co-speaker of the PhD researchers. He recently published an article at digicon.org entitled Where is Olive? In this article, he discusses the connections between digital constitutionalism, rule of law, and democracy. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Alex. Now, in your blog post, you compare today's debate on digital constitutionalism to the family from Little Miss Sunshine. In the movie, the family accidentally leaves their daughter Olive behind at a gas station. You argue that the digital constitutionalism debate, the family of digital rights, rule of law and regulation, has left behind the notions of democracy and user participation. In doing so, you argue, digital constitutionalism has reduced the concept of constitutionalism to individual rights and courts. Could you explain briefly for our listeners what you mean by this? So thank you again, Alex, and thank you so much for having me. It's really for, especially for a young researcher like me, it's really very motivational to, to be on a podcast like this. And maybe I have to start early because this podcast usually does not so much focus on digital constitutionalism. So maybe we start with the problem people who consider themselves digital constitutionalists try to solve. The bigger context of the area we're talking about is human communication online. So everything I'm going to speak about is how we as humans communicate online and specifically how we communicate on social media because a lot of political, social, economic and cultural discourse we have today takes place on websites such as Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to an extent. And the problem... At the very heart of digital constitutionalism is a power imbalance between one very powerful institution, namely the platform, and a much less powerful group of users. And those individual users have only negligible influence on this platform. And the platform are usually organized as private companies and they organize or exercise their power in their power relation to their users in the form of rules. They make rules independent of the users and they enforce rules vis-a-vis -vis or even against the users. Digital constitutionalism now sees this problem and makes a very simple and I would say absolutely correct proposition, namely to say, okay, we have to look to the past and we have to see how we tamed the other big powers of the past, namely the sovereign state, the nation state, and how we tame sovereign rulemaking and sovereign rule enforcement against people. One of our approaches was constitutionalism. So let's just remodel it, revamp it, and apply it to like the giants, the powers uh, in the digital spheres. Of course, also like a lot of like shiny words and nice, nice language, but the very basic idea is to use the old concepts from the early days of, of constitutionalism and to apply them to platforms broader notions to apply them to all platforms or more concise and narrow notions to apply them more to the communication sector. That's what I'm talking about. This blog post of my side, and in the blog post, I, I link it uh, to this very nice movie, Little Miss Sunshine. And in Little Miss Sunshine, there's a scene where this family of like 
five or six misfits uh, sits in an old Volkswagen bus and a trip from Albuquerque, New Mexico to, to California. And they, at some point, at a pit stop, forget um, Olive, who's the six or seven-year-old lovely bespectacled kid who wants to win a beauty pageant in California. Once they left the pit stop, someone realized, okay, damn it, we, we forgot Olive. And this is exactly how I felt about some of the arguments made in this debate about digital constitutionalism, because the arguments made there focus so far mainly on constitutionalism as we know it today, and not as in, like constitutionalism as it developed over more than 200 years. The arguments of digital constitutionalism focus predominantly on the experience with constitutionalism and judicialization and constitutional and supreme courts and rights-based approaches and so on we had in western liberal systems in the united states and in, in europe uh, and therefore think to make it very brief that the main thing we have to do to these platforms is to subject them to rights-based review and to subject them to a few principles such as uh, free speech. And my point is, that is correct, that is one step, but it's not everything. It's only part of a much bigger project. And constitutionalism, which is focused on rights, as we have constitutionalism today in, in Western societies and Western policies, only builds on, on hundreds of years and only exists in this very particular rights-focused form because it exists in a democratized context. Thank you. Um, you mentioned there already the comparisons to constitutionalism in the past and notions like democracy and, and fundamental rights, which are usually used uh, in, in the public sphere as opposed to states, uh, where social media platforms um, are commonly private actors, while there are those who argue for more democratic participation in the private sphere, particularly with regard to labor relations, by and large, private actors are not built on democratic structures. To take an obvious comparison, what is the difference between content moderation by a social media network and content moderation in my no local newspaper's letters to the editor? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that is really an excellent, excellent point. Two or three thoughts on that. So the first one is I would push a little bit back on your like oppositional structuring of corporate power on the one side and democracy on the other side, that these are not things that have to be mutually exclusive. For example, if we deconstruct what democracy means, and if it means basically that those people who are subject to rule have a say in the what the content of the rule should be, then it is something we definitely see also in the private sphere. Also in uh, companies, shareholders do have a vote. It's not one person, one vote, because the vote is weighed and is as strong as many shares you have. But in principle, there are also democratic elements. So the idea of coming to a decision and not having to obey to, uh, to rules you don't have any influence on is also a governance mechanism, basically, um, that is featured in private institutions as well. And even like if you go back in history of democracy, the, the early republics, even in, in like uh, Renaissance Europe, had uh, democratic elements, but based on uh, land ownership, for example. So all these concepts are in flux and 
we compare them sometimes against ideal notions because we think, okay, in the year 2022, we have an ideal democracy in like a state like Germany, which of course it's also not, but it is definitely more democratic, of course, than, I don't know, the internal opaque and absolutely independent rulemaking within the private company. Yet, there's an element of learning between those actors, I think, and there's an element of congruence, and therefore I wouldn't put those structures so uh, exclusive. My second point is the reason why we are talking about subjecting platform power or, or large enterprises like Facebook, for example, under principles and procedures that reminisce public law or constitutional law, as the digital constitutionalists put it, is that they exercise a power so far-reaching and so complete that it really reminisces or the, the power structure of uh, sovereigns in, in the earlier days within a specific context, of course. I mean, it's just about communication in, in, in that respect. And the big difference is that you cannot simply move beyond one network. For example, especially from like economic perspective, those networks are monopolists. And you cannot simply say, okay, if I don't like the way, for example, how communication works on Facebook, therefore I go to Twitter... That is something that really doesn't work because the the, the product Facebook offers to its uh, especially to business companies, but also to users and the network that you have there is not replaceable or not redoable on an, on another network. There's a lot of a lot of research on this. So this uh, Hirschman idea of like exit and voice exit does not really exist. If you exit, you're out and you're out of the communication flow basically. Whereas with your local newspaper. There are more newspapers. It's also not the local newspaper, so you could say, ah, oh, you also cannot leave, but there are much, much more newspapers of a similar, similar scale, similar size. Uh, and therefore, I think that the comprehensiveness of the regulatory might vested in those platforms is just so different and so much bigger that when leaving is not an option anymore, then we have to begin regulating. Okay, thanks. Um, maybe let us turn to the rule of law now, because um, this is an issue that you address and, and, and you point out that social media platforms like Facebook are now setting up their own quasi-court systems, uh, which in a recent presentation uh, you called uh, juridic governance. Now, you claim that these are qualitatively different from other out-of-court settlement procedures. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so juridic governance is a concept I try to develop in my, my larger PhD project. And it describes a turn in post-state governance to use adjudication as a tool of governance or as a governance mechanism, so to speak. And as it is post-state governance, of course, it cannot be done by just simply establishing courts because courts are either limited to the nation-state or to quite complex international or supranational organizations. I think that we see an emulation of court-like procedures, court-like structures, judicial decision-making, bodies that like act like court, they look like courts, they speak like courts, but they're specifically labeled not to be courts because there's no like formal authority or formal competence, to use a German term, um, to establish them. But nevertheless, I try to capture this by this phrase of, from architecture, this form follows function. There's a problem, namely a power imbalance. We therefore have the function to control it. And we know in our current thinking, in our, the discourse that we are all 
part of that courts are the method to control power in our contemporary thinking and therefore we see judicial decision making um, beyond courts in situations where we are beyond the state and where we are beyond our current concepts and, and structures of power and more, specific, more specifically this means that I look for example at different examples of adjudicatory bodies that are quite court-like but not quite courts and uh, we have them in private governance for example the Facebook's oversight board like the, the most famous example but also in the uh, proposed Digital Services Act of the European Union, we have an Article 18, which establishes something called out-of-court dispute settlement bodies, which basically mesh together um, the logic of alternative dispute resolution, so private, somewhat ad hoc, although those bodies are not ad hoc, and administrative courts, basically, because the idea is not to resolve a dispute between two parties about a contract or something, but the idea is to use the dispute and to control power in a, a relation of hierarchy, in a situation of hierarchy. I think the underlying idea, and this ties us back to this notion of digital constitutionalism, that is emulated here is the idea of judicial control of administrative action. That, of course, reminisces ideas also we have in constitutionalism, but I think the, the solution is, in one way, much more mundane than much of the digital constitutionalists say, because they always make it about... Well, it's not they, but like it is always about important and, and shiny concepts like the rule of law and freedom of speech and so on. But I think the much more apt analogy for many of the problems we face in governance beyond the state, especially in the digital sphere, is of an administrative nature because administrative law tells us how to deal with actors that are independent, rule makers and independent rule enforcers. Administrative law is full of adjudication used as a method to control this power and to better and improve this power, especially in the United States. And therefore I make up this, this term of juridic governance, which is based on, on legal sociology, especially on the term of, uh, of juridification, which was coined by many people, but in, in, at least in the German discourse, mainly by Günther Teutner, which means that many, many more issues today are understood as an issue of rights and as disputes of rights and they're legally regulated. And the, the Americans call it more like legalism, basically. These phenomena are a reflection of that, therefore juridic. And because I don't want to say judicial, because they are not, they just look like it and function like it. And governance, of course, because it's a governance mechanism and it's a governance tool. And I yeah, try to try to describe that. And in the case studies so far, my hypothesis that they exist and that they are quite a big deal seems to be true. Well, let, let us focus on, on this aspect that you mentioned, that, that form follows function. Because if I understand you correctly, you argue that one of the problems is that governance follows uh, the form of courts, but it remains private in nature. Therefore, it does not necessarily share public values. Yet, could one not argue that form does not only follow function, but function also follows form? Uh, what I mean by this is, if you set up bodies that look like courts and fill them with lawyers... Is it not possible that this creates a legal discourse that emulates values like judicial independence or fundamental rights? Yes, I think this is cuts pretty much our points to the to the core of of my my project, and that is that all these concepts are inherently relative and nothing is definite. And of course, I'm actually at the end of the day, I'm quite optimistic about 
the the future trajectory of this. It's also and when I criticize much of post-state governance, especially in the digital sphere, but a similar argument to a lesser extent, but a similar argument in, in principle could be made about the EU. Also, EU, the EU executive power is quite undemocratic in many regards. And the only control mechanism they have is the ECJ, which sometimes does not control very intrusively. And another, more examples of juridic governance, which I also research. But this does not necessarily have to be a problem because, for example, if we look at judicial control of, of executive power in, in history, we see that also, for example, in Germany, actually, in Berlin, in Kreuzberg, just two kilometers from where we're sitting right now, there was a, a judgment called Kreuzberg Urteil by the, by the German high administrative, or the Prussian back at the time, high administrative court in 1882, I believe, uh, which subjected the, or subjugated rather, the Prussian police to judicial control. And there was 40 years before Germany became a democracy. So these things alternate. They come in pairs, but they don't have to necessarily uh, transpire at the same time. So it's absolutely fine that we start with rights and judicial control and, and participation and rulemaking comes after, but it has to come at some point. And the same goes for this form follows function and function follows form. Um, point. Also, if you look inwards, as like I'm a trained public lawyer, and everything I see and say goes or went through this like public law lens, and also the way we under we conceptualize and control our public power in the state of Germany, in the European Union, at the international level, also developed out of sometimes how we control different forms of power before the church or even private power as well. So it, these things uh, come and go, and therefore definitely uh, there might be a situation in which this might be the judicial power of the future, so to speak. And not like not as an absolute alternative or as replacing courts as we know them today, but as an, as an extra, as an, like, uh, a sherry on top, perhaps. Uh, great. So um, let, let us now turn to the lack of democratic checks on, on content moderation. Um, in, in Germany, uh, to take an example that we are both familiar with, uh, civil courts have, have found that they are competent to review uh, Facebook's content moderation for excesses. And on the other side of the spectrum, uh, when the German government issued the so-called NetzDG, um, also known under Lex Fa Facebook, uh, which specifically which sets specific timeframes for the deletion of content deemed illegal under criminal law. This drew vast criticisms from the digital community. And finally, you mentioned yourself the efforts of the EU to pass a digital service regulation, which expressly states that in content moderation, intermediaries have to pay due regard to the rights and legitimate interests, including the applicable fundamental rights. In light of this kind of regulation of social networks, could one not say that there is at least mediated democratic participations uh, in, in the content regulation already? Mediated democratic participation, I think, is a very nice term. And <laughs> I might have to ask for permission to use it at some point. But I would push back on the idea that fundamental rights are mediated democratic participation in in a broader sense. I mean, Americans and our contemporary constitutionalist discourse conceptualizes them like that, and for a reason. Litigation, 
based on individual rights democratizes power. That is a fact. But it democratizes power in contexts in which it has to democratize that power against majoritarian majoritarian decisions that are wrong on a normative from a normative perspective, namely the constitutional perspective. What the DSA does right now is that it says to to companies like Facebook, you you can do your, your terms and conditions, you can set your normative framework in a certain normative corridor, and that that corridor is are a few fundamental rights. Let's see what, what really makes it to the final version of the DSA, but will be something like it will be something like fairness, transparency, and fundamental rights like uh, the freedom of speech and the freedom of assembly, maybe even or media. And if, if that's violated, then then users can 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 litigate in front of those specific adjudicatory bodies. But what they don't do in the DSA is except for this normative framework, also force the platforms to establish a procedural framework for users to participate in a deliberatory way or in like a conversation on what those values, on what those rules and specific circumstances should be. So the majoritarian element, even though it has many flaws, as we know, and I don't argue a like for full majoritarianism, that would be disastrous. And it also wouldn't work by the fact that Facebook had, uh, quote-unquote, elections on its community standards and they died down because nobody voted. So there has to be a specific form of participation. It cannot be like a general vote on, and everyone deliberates like in an idealized Habermas understanding of things that won't, won't work. But that's why I'm like always pushing this administrative perspective, because in administrative law, there are many procedures, how to infuse stakeholders, how to advance representation and notice and consent regimes. I mean, if we if we construct a, a, a house, we have to sometimes like there have to be neighborhood councils uh, that have to agree and different different boards and all of this kind of community based uh, representation is something that is at this moment absolutely missing and i think it is this understanding the kind of like a more nuanced sub-constitutional sub-parliamentary understanding of democracy what we should look for to uh, find a right or strike a balance between normatively bound rules on platforms which is something the dsa maybe achieves and rules that are actually grounded in the social group that are governed by those rules. And that can be only done by participation. And maybe as, as an addendum, there are informal examples of participation right now already. Twitter, for example, they, have, they, they do consultations. And of course, the, the big companies as well, if they, if they say, oh, okay, we want to ban certain types of nudity, they, they commission expert reports and they ask people from a certain specific social context and so on. So, so this already happens to, to an extent. But I do believe that here the role of public law, of constitutionalism as well, I mean, democracy in my perspective is one of the core or should be one of the core ideas of constitutionalism. It's not only about uh, like an, uh, an Anglo-Saxon uh, narrow understanding of the rule of law and uh, a strong court at the, the very center. But it's also about 
providing well-functioning means to voice your opinion and not only vis-a-vis other users but also vis-a-vis the power that governs you well after this i i I feel bad to bring the the topic back to courts again because i'm i'm a lawyer and i study courts so instead of democracy uh, let us talk one last minute about courts and juridical governance Uh, do you think that this specific form of uh, content regulation via these quasi-courts will make the decisions issued by the private players more palatable for judges. And what I mean by this is, do you think that uh, regular courts may be less inclined to review decisions by these quasi-courts because they talk the talk as compared to decisions by reviewers who are not lawyers? Or may in reverse, the legal terminology used in such de- such decisions make it easier for courts to review the decisions themselves as to their compatibility with national case law or even their own internal coherence. If a traditional court like the Bundesgerichtshof or uh, some high court in the United States or in the UK would review a decision by some of those out-of-court dispute settlement bodies or the oversight board, that would be already a tremendous step towards normalizing, legitimizing and stabilizing them as basically judicial players in the field. So we are not there yet. But I think, especially for the oversight board, it really might only be a matter of time that this will happen and that it will be an accepted method of like self-control to basically uh, establish your own type of quasi-private administrative courts to to, to to check on, on, on your dealings. And we're not there yet. If it happens, I think we have to distinguish between what I would call the, the American and the European way, because the, the American approach, especially in the oversight board, is to decide very few cases which point to structural is, issues. The oversight board um, has full discretion on which cases it uh, chooses. The idea is not to propel individual justice in the more than a million cases, in the million, more than one million appeals they achieve, but is to use those cases to kind of finger the pulse of Facebook's governance and to, to use the kind of hallmark or landmark cases. And there, there might be, uh, there might be some kind of courts uh, some kind of picking picking this up on, on especially on lower courts maybe even and that, that i think from a global perspective that is really important for authoritarian contexts for less liberal contexts or countries those adjudicatory bodies can really very much be a shining example of a somewhat progressive stance on freedom of speech for example if we have the ability to quote these kind of bodies, it might be very much an advantage in a, in a debate in, in some country and against your national censor, basically, or your national regulator. In the EU, however, the DSA approach is very much focused on the idea of individual justice. So they have this, basically, this, this idea of a, an effective remedy as enshrined in the Charter, And therefore, the idea in the DSA proposal in Article 18 is that you can sue as much as you want, basically. 
And there I'm a bit more skeptical whether this, at the end of the day, turns out to be as effective, or rather it remains to be seen whether it, that turns out to be as effective because, of course, it diverts attention because it's much more about the individual cases and not so much about the structure. But, and there's a very big but, and I think it's a very positive development in the legislative process, that especially in the parliament, in the, in the, in the committee on consumer protection, they apparently... At least that's how you how you read the the submissions there, that they want to make kind of dual use of these adjudicatory bodies because they want them to make, for example, um, regular reports on best practices on structural problems in the governance of platforms in the EU, and then they these reports of those bodies who decide thousands of cases, perhaps or millions of cases even. Um, therefore also kind of like finger the pulse of the dealings of platforms in Europe. They write reports, give them to uh, an authority, which then give them to another authority. It's, of course, a bit bureaucratic because it's uh, it's, a, it's an EU idea. And uh, then at some point it bubbles up to the EU level. And there there's, of course, vast regulatory power to enforce vis-a-vis uh, -vis the platforms. But it's kind of like a, a detour. But at the end of the day, I think we're both going into the same direction to use adjudication as a as a method to 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 better control the governance or private governance. Yeah. Great. I think this is a is a great point to 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 end on, and and we, I, I think it captures well the European spirit uh, of bureaucracy. I guess. Um, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. I've been Alexander Lazwich. My guest has been Moritz Schramm. And uh, see you next time. Thank you very much for having me.